you know, I think whenever we find ourselves in the presence of any sort of evil or wickedness in the world, we tend to give ourselves free reign. We tend to give ourselves complete permission to do whatever we want in response, you know, like yell, scream, belittle, even shame the other person that we perceive to be guilty of the wrongdoing which has been committed. But if we kind of stop and think about it and kind of pray into the situation, perhaps we might realize that that's not really the way of the gospel. And perhaps nowhere else do we find this particular principle articulated most clearly than in the Gospel of John chapter 8, the story of the woman caught in the very act of adultery. Now, maybe it's just me, but I find it really interesting that at the very outset of today's gospel, what we find at the very outset is that the woman in question is described as having been caught in the very act of adultery. And even though a lot of people would suggest that this particular detail is significant, only as far as it seems to suggest that the scribes and the Pharisees were guilty of a sort of entrapment, if you will, I think there's something deeper going on here. And so basically, I don't think it's a coincidence that adultery is the sin that's being examined in the context of this particular example, because adultery is one of those key instances of what the Catechism of the Catholic Church calls intrinsically evil acts. And so the whole idea here is that when it comes to sinful behavior, sometimes you can reduce a sense of culpability depending on the person's intention or depending on the circumstance. So maybe the person didn't really mean to do the thing, or maybe there were circumstances which kind of forced this person's hand. But you see, what's interesting is that when it comes to intrinsically evil acts, intention doesn't matter and circumstance doesn't matter because these things are held to be evil by virtue of the object which is chosen. And so, for example, whether we're talking about blasphemy, perjury, murder, or adultery, these things are evil, intrinsically evil, again, regardless of intention and regardless of circumstance. But you see, the fact that the sin of adultery is used in the context of this gospel really helps to drive the point home, right? Because in a certain sense, what the Lord is saying is that even when it comes to intrinsically evil acts, even in these moments, you still must be kind, you still must be merciful, you still must apply an intentionally pastoral approach. BC, hold that thought now and think back to the scribes and the Pharisees and ask yourselves this really important question. How now, in contrast, do the scribes and the Pharisees treat this woman who, again, has been caught in the very act of adultery? Well, first of all, they make her stand in the middle of the temple, thereby exposing her to shame and ridicule. But on top of that, they threaten to stone her. So the question which is posed to the Lord is, what should we do with this woman, right? Moses says that we should stone women like this. What say you, Rabbi? And of course, what's being revealed in this particular question is a certain murderous intent, directed towards the woman for sure, but also, funny enough, directed toward Christ himself. And of course, the gospel says precisely as much. So what we hear is that the scribes and the Pharisees, they pose Jesus this question to test him. And so in the face of it, the Lord seems to be in a bit of a pickle, right? So the whole idea is that, does he choose the way of Moses and thereby downplay the need for mercy and forgiveness? Or does he go to way of mercy and forgiveness, in which case he seems to be transgressing the Mosaic law? But of course, the Lord, as is typical, he, he kind of finds another way, right? So in response to this question about possibly stoning this woman to death, what the Lord does, he responds to the scribes and the Pharisees by doing three different things. So first of all, what he does is kind of interesting. He doesn't respond at all, or perhaps more accurately, he responds with silence. But his silence, in a certain sense, is an invitation, an invitation to stop, to settle down, to pray into the situation and to openly reflect what is the correct thing to do, quite apart from what I initially think is the right thing to do. But the second thing that the Lord does is that he bends down and he starts writing on the ground. 
And this is really interesting because throughout the course of the gospel, Jesus is never recorded actually writing, which of course begs the question, what the heck is he actually writing? No, obviously the gospel doesn't say, right? But the church fathers, what they say, you know, people like Augustine, is that in this moment when Jesus is again writing on the ground, what he's actually writing are the sins of the scribes and the Pharisees. And if that's true, what a provocative thing that would have been. And so again, imagine the scribes and the Pharisees basically calling for this woman's blood in response to which the Lord basically silently calls them out by again, writing their sins on the ground. Things like envy, lust, anger, murder thereby pointing out their hypocrisy, but at the same time pointing out to them in no uncertain terms that when they go forth to try to correct another person, they should use as a guiding principle the golden rule. Do unto others as you would ultimately have them do back unto you. But that, of course, brings us to the third part of the Lord's response, the part where he actually speaks. And so what he basically says is, let anyone who is without sin cast the first stone. And of course, in saying this, the Lord is not suggesting for a moment that sin doesn't matter, but what he's doing is making a really important strategical move. So first of all, he's getting out of this Mexican standoff, if you will, but at the same time, what he's doing, he's trying to shame the scribes and the Pharisees into a stance of right behavior. And of course, it ultimately works, right? So they all start departing one by one, beginning with the elders, who of course have the most to answer for in terms of their own personal sin. And of course, when the scribes and the Pharisees finally leave, the Lord is left alone with the woman in question. And so begins this really important dialogue, right? So the Lord begins by asking her a question. Has anyone condemned you? She replies by saying, no, sir. And then he says, neither do I condemn you. Go forth and sin no more. Now, again, on the face of it, this particular dialogue would seem to suggest that ultimately Jesus doesn't really care about the seriousness of sin. But of course, the reality couldn't be farther from the truth. And so perhaps the best way to put it is that Jesus certainly cares about sin. He just cares about this woman more. And so what the Lord is ultimately trying to tease out of this woman is not so much external compliance or behavior management. What he's ultimately looking for is authentic conversion of hearts. Because, you know, think of it like this. If the Lord had ended this final dialogue by being harsh, by being cruel, by issuing threats of his own, maybe the woman would go forth trying to avoid adultery in the future, but her motivation would be fear as opposed to love. Whereas in contrast, because the Lord is kind and merciful, precisely in this moment where the woman basically deserves all sorts of punishment and reprisal, she now goes forth and avoids adultery. So she avoids sinful behavior, not because of fear, but because of gratitude. Gratitude and love towards the one who has loved her first. And may God bless you all.